Welcome to Paintbrush and Ivories, the podcast for artists and curious creatives that connects creativity with the heart and soul. I'm Michelle Walker, and I'm here with my creative soul sister, Jennifer Ruth Russell. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Michelle. How wonderful to be with you again. Isn't that great? So today we're going to talk about an epic topic that plagues a lot of creatives. Not everyone, but this might be for you if you're listening. And that's the big subject of money. Earning money, getting paid what you're worth, being able to price your work or price your products and services, wrangling with cash flow, all of that stuff. We want to have a bit of a chat because it is a big, big topic. So let's start. Jennifer, what was your experience growing up with money and what's been your experience of money and abundance and cash flow, etc., in your working life? That's a lot of questions in one. <laughs> but I will start. <laughs> I will start simply and then and then we can we can continue from there. Well, I was raised in a very poor country as far as dollars go. I was raised in East Africa and Ethiopia. And we, I think my dad made something like $8,000 American a year there, right? Yeah. That was a lot of money there because the uh, average income there was $30 a year American there, if you can imagine, $30 a year. So when we would come to the States for a furlough, all of a sudden that $8,000 did not go very far. It was such a contrast of being in like upper, upper class and coming to America where our dollars, we were like sharing meals. We'd have to stay in, in hotels and, and the girls, us girls, there were a lot of us girls, we'd have to <laughs> sleep sideways on a bed. <laughs> and, and it went from ease to a lot of tension, yeah, a lot of short temper um, that I had never seen before. So I think that the first time I came over here uh, when I was conscious was like eight years old and I was like, what is happening? You know, what happened to my dad? Mm. Because he just became really freaked out, stressed out. And my mother was a princess. She let my dad take care of everything. So she really didn't deal with any of the money things. So I kind of was raised with a, a real like, what, you know, here I am a woman, but I do not want to stress, but I did, you know, and so I did, I, I took on a lot of that. And of course, there was a lot of in the evangelical Christian circles I, at that time, you know, money is the root of all evil. That was definitely there. And, and how much money would take people off the spiritual path. Yeah. How about yeah. you? How about you? I'd love to hear what you were given as a child. Well, I definitely grew up with money doesn't grow on trees. That was the mainstay of my upbringing. And really one of the most impactful things that I I guess noticed as I became an adult was money was never spoken about in front of the children. It was a big mm. deal. My dad worked for himself. He was a builder. He worked very hard. My second mum who raised me was also a worker. So she used to be a night nurse. And so she used to work multiple shifts a week. We were four kids. We lived in a, so eight of, um, sorry, six of us living in a two bedroom house because money was tight. Money didn't grow on trees. Dad worked, you know, and I think the whole thing of him working for himself was one of the reasons why my second mum took up a job was just to have a little bit of steady income. 
but I never realized that it was never spoken in my presence until I was in my 20s and I was looking backwards Mm. and I realized that it was just a topic of unspoken tension, bills and just everyday living. But having said that, we really did live very well. You know, we had, there were some things that we were just told, no, can't afford that. But my dad liked steak, so we ate good cuts of meat as, you know, as a family, whereas others who weren't perhaps quite as wealthy maybe ate more offal, you know. So you could tell in in certain things, like what we, we ate well, but we went on a holiday as a family every seven years. <laughs> so it was, you know, there were, there were other economies, if you like. But this, the sort of the main thing that I hit adult life was this understanding, I got a job the minute I turned 15 and was legally allowed to earn money. And within no time, I had two jobs. And that was so I could earn my own money and not be asking my parents for anything knowing that if I wanted to buy that very expensive, you know, fashion brand pair of jeans, I funded it myself. So I felt I was also very sort of driven, if you like, to be independent around money so that I could make my own choices. And I had no ask on my parents where money was a little bit thin on the ground and there was, yep, didn't grow on trees. So you had to, you had to work hard. (laughs) That was one of the things, work hard. Yes. You know what I felt? different than you because I didn't have those teenage desires to have a certain something or other because I was kind of like on an e-ticket. I don't know, that's a that's an American term for Disneyland where you could, and I don't know if it's that way anymore, but you would get an e-ticket, which means that you could go to any ride, do any ride that you would want to. You didn't have to have a special ticket for each ride. You had just had blanket across the board. You could go on to any ride. And that's kind of how I felt about my childhood because I wasn't even conscious about money, but there were some experiences. I'll tell you one, my first remembrance of lack, I was seven, I was at a boarding school and the older girls uh, had these thongs, you know, which are just simple sandals, right? You can still get them for hardly any money at all. And I was like, I wanted that. That was the first time I remember wanting something. And this older girl said, oh, I'll give you mine. And she gave me hers. And on the right foot, half of it was gone. And that disappointment of like, not getting what I wanted Mm. and not being able to buy it. I didn't have money then, but I don't really remember very many times, even when I was a teenager thinking, I really wanna have that, which is such a powerful desire around how you do money, you know, just like you said, you wanted to get that, that pair of jeans, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I I don't remember discussions around money either. I don't. And it's interesting that um, for me, money was loaded. And I didn't realize that until I became probably in my early 20s. I remember this I have this really profound memory of being in abundance and it wasn't just about money, but money was part of it. When I was 23, in the year before I turned 23, I worked three jobs and I saved enough money to go traveling. And I took myself off from Australia to South America. And this was about maybe six months into that trip. I was traveling with a Glaswegian. So we managed to make money stretch so far And we were in a country where really living costs for the locals was very high, but for a traveler, you you were just in this incredible sense of wealthiness. 
And I had this moment where I really got standing in this square in um, southern Peru, even if I was completely without clothing and possessions, I was so rich because my family had raised me, I'd got an education, I was financially, socially, culturally free to get on a plane with money in my pocket Mm -hmm. and go to a country halfway around the world. And that Mm -hmm. sense of incredible wealth of my background and my beingness. So even if I lost all my possessions and had not a peso to rub together, I really, really understood that I had kind of won the genetic lottery by being born into Australia, into middle class. We were at the working class end of middle class. I I understood that, but we kind of didn't want for anything. And Mm -hmm. being in countries where the adult male was earning $2 a day and Mm. a tall beer was the same amount. So if they wanted to drink, that was kind of, you know, an incredible expense. And I had another experience soon after that. I was on a bus in Ecuador and a young woman, and I was young at the time, came and sat on the bus seat beside me. And we discovered we were the same age. We were both 23. She had five children and I had none. And I was Mm -hmm. traveling the world. I was halfway around the globe from my hometown and she was in her hometown. In my poor Spanish, we swap stories and just laughed at the difference of our life experiences and the difference of you know kind of where we were at and but with great joy at having met each other and realized that there was something wonderful in that and she had something wonderful in terms of motherhood and the children and I had this other thing which was sort of freedom and travel there was this ability in my freedom was this financial freedom so those two experiences were pretty profound. And then I went to England straight after that and worked for a merchant bank. And I just had my head blown off about money and how money is seen in <laughs> the, you know, in the finance industry. And that was really mm-hmm. very impactful as well. So. So I have to back up for one second because you used a word that I know most of us here in America are not going to understand. The person that you traveled with, Glaswegian. Glaswegian from Glasgow Glaswegian. in Scotland. Okay. okay. <laughs> Because I, I, I was like, what? maybe this person was a real penny pincher and knew how to travel without spending money. <laughs> well, there is, a, there is a wicked stereotype about the Scottish being very canny with pence and pounds. So he, he and I stood having an argument in the supermarket before we got on our travels where he said I couldn't have soap and deodorant. I had to be much more frugal than that. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> laughing at him and saying, you are so tight with money. I am taking both end of story. We are not having this discussion. So that was very funny. And, and <laughs> it, it is something, you know, we were very frugal when we traveled and we managed to make what I thought was a budget that was going to last me two months. It lasted us seven. So we did very well. I think traveling and seeing other cultures and countries early in my 20s was incredibly valuable around understanding both how abundant my life was up until that point, but also an understanding for others. Absolutely. I was able to travel at that age too, but I was a flight attendant. So I got to see a lot of the world. I got to go back to Africa and it's fabulous. So how did that, all that traveling and 
your inside of money, how did that affect your artistry? How do you think it affects you as an artist today? It's a great question. I think I did a lot of my sorting through of my money story before I kind of really embraced my art fully, which was only in the last, you know, two years or so. I did it while I was a consultant working for myself, which is another area where you can really come up against your own money stuff. So I, I ran my own business for 15 years and I was really lucky in that mostly money was great. Money was kind of my friend, but there were, there were moments, there were moments when I really had to explore what was it that I was potentially thinking or doing that might be getting in the way? And it did come up in a few, oh, half a dozen years ago, I looked at business coach, people who were creative. And one of the things that used to always come up in working with creatives on their business was the money piece. And it seemed that a lot of people wanted to do things and it might have even just been going out and working for themselves in a different kind of business rather than working a job but the thing that stopped them was money was the fear the lack of mm -hmm. and there might be thoughts around so how will i make sure all those financial things are taken care of if i'm just living hand to mouth on jobs and being totally reliant on myself rather than being able to rely on a regular income so that was where it first came up was in helping people in business and my love of helping people embrace their most creative ideas so it might have been not creative as in the art sense but creative as in a new consulting practice offering new services so that kind of creative innovation and I definitely came up against it so I spent some time both exploring my own stuff and exploring money coaching it for others because it seemed like a really valuable contribution. Now, I don't know about you, but here in Australia, there's a really good percentage of new businesses, which are, you know, small businesses are being taken up by women. So women are making choices. And I think new business, I think the stats were around 80% new businesses in the last 12 months. So that's a really big thing. So we have to, as women, in business, we have to look at how we're doing money. And there's a whole bunch of traps and sticking points. So here's one. Women, I find, and this is family and friends, when it comes to money, they vague out. Mm -hmm. Or someone else deals with it. So it might be their husband or it might be have been their father traditionally and they've just never stepped in and done that grown-up thing of dealing with their own money. Mm -hmm. So I needed to get some tools around that and... While dealing with money had never been a problem for me, I really recognised that there were other ways of doing money that perhaps weren't as useful and that that really did impact on business. So mm -hmm. there's just some thoughts. What about you? Have you had your experiences? Have you had to explore money in your creative pursuits as well, haven't you? Well, imagine if you had decided to do your art when you were 27 with, with a, a, a child. You're a single mother. That's when I decided to do art and, you know, crazy. Isn't it crazy? I mean, thinking back on it. Brave, I, I, courageous. I just, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And I'm grateful that I was brave and courageous and a little bit crazy because I guess it's always been really important for me to do what I, what I love. And there were moments, yes, I had to do a lot of waiting on tables. I had flew for Delta Airlines for a while. I... I also um, took a detour and stopped doing any music 
for like 10 years. So I had to remember, wait a minute, it's not as important for me to earn money than it is to really do my art. And I think there's a lot of artists that do that. I mean, you know, you've heard that the sculpture that would sculptor that would live underneath the sculptor, the big stone that he's he's working on, just he's so in love with it, he can't do anything else. It hasn't always been like that for me. But I have to tell you that the places that's really changed for me is seeing the provision, like my beautiful husband, how he came to my life. And he was like, you need to record your music. And I hadn't really thought about it before that, but I had been writing a whole bunch of songs. What a provision. That's abundance right there. And I too, I had to start look at the looking at those places where I was just repeating the patterns over and over again. And I'm going to tell a story about that coming out of vagueness, because I think that is so important. That's one of the most valuable things that you can do. I realized I was standing out in my yard and it was getting that time of the month that rent was due. We were renting a house and I started doing the panic. You know, yeah. and I started getting afraid. And it was the same time that I had been deciding that I was going to keep track of my money. I was going to start seeing just just take note of whatever came in and whatever went out and how it did. That was that was my commitment, right? That's all I needed to do. I didn't I need to make a budget. I just needed to start recording what came in and what went out. So I was standing there going, Oh my God, how many months have you done this? How many months have you totally yeah. panicked? Yeah at this point, and how many months has it worked out? <laughs> so just asking that question, it was like, oh my God, it's been over 30 years at this point, right? It's been over 30 years that I've had this, this pattern of going into complete panic, doing the, oh my God, where is it gonna come from? And then it comes from somewhere and it always works out. And so I made a commitment right there. I said, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. And I called in my my team and my beloved I am presence. And I said, you know what? I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing my artistry. I'm putting it on you. Anything else that needs to come in, I'm going to do my part. You got to take care of the rest of it. And it's happened that way every single month since then. That was like 11 years ago. Yeah. It's just truly amazing. Another thing I realized is that every time I need a tool for my artistry, like we need something in the recording studio, it happens. I can't tell you how it happens because we're freelancers. We always have been. It always happens because I have a belief that everything I need to do my artist's art is provided. Everything. And it's true because I believe it. Of course, it happens to you as you believe. So that's one of the beliefs I realized that I just like, I will not scrimp. And my dad was a scrimper, right? Mm -hmm. He always got yep. the cheapest deal. I, I can't do that. I noticed that my siblings too are a reaction of that. They will, not all of them, but most of them will go for a, a really good product rather than just getting the cheaper deal. <laughs> <laughs> but I really believe that your artistry is always going to be supported because that's why you're here. You're here to be an artist. Not everyone has that though. I can, you know, like I know you and I sense that blanket of certainty and I think that's something we have to work towards. And you obviously mm -hmm. have done a lot of work around it as well. And I think one of the key things is to just be curious about money as a energy, as a thing that comes and goes in our lives. 
And once we start to have it be a bit neutralized, because it's got this incredible, well, not for everyone, but it's loaded. Some, it is. It's loaded. It's in some parts of society, it's got all this meaning attached to it. And sometimes unwittingly, we attach meaning to it as well. And I think actually realizing and being observant of our own thinking. So you caught yourself in the moment of having a full anxiety thought around how the heck am I going to pay for my rent? And that's probably a thought pattern that you'd been doing for however many months, years, whatever. And it's a choice, although you probably didn't think it until the moment before you thought it. I think that's really interesting. And I had, so for me, money came, but it went almost as fast. And so mm -hmm. because I always worked, so I had that whole thing from my teenage years where I earned money so I could be independent. But I also had this thing where I didn't end up with great accumulation of wealth. And in my 30s, I hit a personal crisis where I built a house with this fellow and after eight years, the relationship had ended and we had to put the house on the market so we could pay out the debt. And the debt was following me, of course, my share of the debt was following me. We, you know, we were waiting for this property to sell. And I had this really quite unusual experience because at that point in my life, in my early 30s, I was just starting to get interested in the spiritual realms. I'd had a few experiences while I was traveling, but I wasn't right into it yet. And I, I had this experience where it was June and the property we'd I'd left in December. So it's, you know, full six months, this property being on the market. And I went to see a body worker. So a woman who did massage, but she did it at a, a very knowing level. She was like one of those grandmothers of the earth. And she was massaging me and she noticed a really big knot in my chest. And she said, do you know, would you be willing to do some work around this? And I said, sure. So after the massage, she said, okay, just choose a place in the room where you can get in touch with that feeling. And I did. And she said, what is it about? And I said, it's about this burden. I can't get rid of the house. I need it to be sold because I really want to be free of the debt. And she said, okay, well now pick a place in the room, go stand there and say, this is the place you now can free of this debt. And I did. And I had a panic attack. And I thought, what is this about? I'm free of the debt, but I'm in this full-blown kind of fight, flight, freeze, peril, body reaction. And I was just totally observing it and bemused. Like I, I would not have said conscious thought that there was anything wrong with me getting rid of this debt. And then it hit me. And it was part of the story of my childhood was my father, who I considered to be a very good person, had won custody of my sister and I in his divorce from my mother, but he was also awarded all the costs. So he had this enormous debt. So I associated good person with debt. And at that time, I hadn't really made peace with my mother. I associated being free of debt, which was my mother's story, with not being a really good, generous person. So I had this internal kind of wiring which was totally backwards about. And as soon as I spotted it, I had this incredible kind of physical reaction to the recognition of that truth. Mm -hmm. We got an offer and the property was sold by 9am the next morning. That was 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs>
It takes as long as it takes. And, and I realized, done. yeah, and I realized the energetic kind of holding that I had. And it was an absolutely brilliant life learning because I came to recognize something I had no concept was true for me. And I would have denied it if you had a conscious, you know, I've had it just responded from my conscious mind. But there was this deep family wiring around if you're a good person, you carry a lot of debt. Bizarre, right? You know, it's not, it's not bizarre because money is so loaded. It's used for manipulation. It's used to withhold love. It's used to, you know, show love without there being any, any real love to support it. It money has been used for absolutely every false love possible. Let me just say it that simply, you know, that money has been used and we have inherited centuries and centuries of money, confusion of money, burden of, of, you know, these things that we say, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, that, that just goes way deeper than that. I always ask, does this belong to me? because there's so much stuff that we carry around that really does not belong to, to us. Yeah. And just asking that question can be really a great perspective of like, wait a minute, no, I don't really believe this anymore. This doesn't really belong to me. If, uh, if abundance belongs to me, which I believe is all of our divine inheritance, it really does. We live in an abundant world. I mean, just look at the leaves on a tree. They always grow, they're continuing to grow. That is our true nature. It really is. And to get to that place of believing that, you do have to go through those things of seeing where you're attached to the old system because there's a whole new system coming in and it has nothing to do with hard work. It has nothing to do with being under the, the curse of Cain or whatever you want to call it is where we, we have to earn a living that is so hard and we're not going to have any time left over for our art. And, uh, you know, we haven't even started talking about the starving artist syndrome. I was just going to ask that. Was that <laughs> is starving artist, is that relevant in your life? Because it sure was in mine. Mm -hmm. I had to really make a decision. Yeah. You know, I had to make a decision. I, and my decision was I'm going to change my relationship with money. Mm. That was, a, it was that simple. Just I'm going to change his, I started to realize that, wow, everything that I need to support my work is already here. So why would I call myself a starving artist? And just things like asking for the money, you know, when you have a gig, asking for the money and ask for the money that you know you deserve. And that's also measuring how much you're going to ask for. I love the story of, of this painting. Now, it wasn't a painting. It was actually a sculpture out of metal that some guy had put into a consignment store to sell. And she said, nobody even looks at this. She said, I think we should take it from being $50 to being $1,500. And th the whole thing sold the next day, just <laughs> like, you know, your story. It's like, because the value was seen so differently because it was high at a higher level. And that's so true. I mean, if you tell people, this is what I charge, then they're going to see you from that place and not to be apologetic for your work stand in the in the truth of your value it's it's it took me a while to learn all that yeah absolutely it, it's a huge one and i think i've even had to shed some of the gremlins around ask asking what i think things are worth shifting out of business consulting into art i've had to catch myself a couple of times here's the thing 
people look at the canvas and this is what I'm projecting in my head. So talking about my painting, for example, people look and go, oh, you know, you could have done that in a couple of hours. And I think, yes, but you need to take into consideration the 55 years of learning and study and endeavor and attempts that happened before that three hours that produced that canvas. So I've actually got much better at standing in my own worth and my own value. I mean, there's still things that trip me up from time to time, but I do feel like there is that absolute catch around what we are worth can be a real sticking point. And that can happen whether you're an artist or working for yourself or producing, you know, some kind of service product. You might be in a job and you might be asking for a a raise in your income. You know, that can happen anywhere. I feel that it's probably a little more exposed for us. You know, my early decision, I love that you talked about the choice that you were going to live in abundance. My early decision, which was sort of made for me when I was 15, and I think we covered this in the creative journey where we talked about our path, was I was told not so much that you'll be a starving artist, but if you want to get a good score and therefore go on and get good income, do the science path. So I Mm -hmm. feel like that was set against, you know, the snobbery of science or business was more grown up, it was more professional and you could earn more versus a creative career. And I feel that's something that makes me sad because I think that the creative parts of our community have so much to offer the broader community around paying attention to things that we're not paying attention to at one end all the way through to utter bliss and joy when we see their creative products, you know, whether listening to music or seeing a painting or a sculpture or seeing someone perform, you know, so that's a whole spectrum of what that brings us in our lives. So I feel that that has been a choice that I've had to remake, even though I'm still working for myself, but now my business is, you know, Michelle Walker Art versus Curious Minds Company. It's still a decision and I have to keep remaking it, though it trips me up less often. Yes. And that's such a, a good thing to talk about, you know, like, how do you value creative genius? How do you value it in time and space and in money? It's, it's got to be your own choice. But I will say, always see yourself as a creative genius. <laughs> <laughs> always see that how much money is behind that creative genius. Oh, my goodness. I, I've just seen so many beautiful songwriters, singers. My son, I see him and he's such a gifted Tai Chi master, right? And yet just making that one step of asking for what he's worth. And I know this place because I used to have a hard time with it too, you know. Somebody asked me to come and speak and, and to sing at this creative wellness thing. And I said, uh, what's the honorarium? Is there an honorarium? I just said, is there an honorarium? And and right away, I, I could feel that like, oh, because they had thought about it. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's really important to ask the question. I didn't say, and I never come up with, you know, this is what I charge. Can you pay me this? I always ask them, what's the honorarium? So they know that I am coming as a professional. I'm coming there because this is how I make my living. And I really want people to respect that. And they do because I respect it. Mm. And respecting others as well. I think that's also something, isn't it, in terms of putting out what you want to receive back. And I feel Mm. that being willing to talk about money is a really big thing and can Absolutely. be a big thing for a lot of women mm-hmm. then that can be a real challenge and like I know in some households 
the mum in the household was the one that took care of all the finances. I know that that certainly exists, but I feel that, you know, being willing to get down into the details. And one of the things that I found as a real powerful place in terms of being alongside this idea of earning money and asking for what you're worth, and that's a whole body of discussion. But it's also about being aware that you can maybe live more frugally. And I don't mean, I don't mean skimp. Uh, there's a different energy about it. Um, I don't know if I can explain this. It's not, it's actually not coming from scarcity. It's coming from abundance. And I've done this twice in last handful of years. And I did this most recently last year in November. I sat down and I looked at every single thing that I spent my money on and I made a conscious choice. Did I want to keep spending money on that? And what I find with, you know, running my own business and so forth, things just creep in and they're often subscriptions. So you're kind of paying a little bit here and a little bit there. And suddenly when you add them all up, there's quite a lot more. And this is a real trick, I think, in terms of taking back the power of money in our lives as creatives is realizing that the less we spend, the less we have to earn and still have the same quality of life, have all, you know, be able to afford all the same things. So I sat down and it looked, literally took me all day, but I went through every minutiae of things that went out in a year and really consciously chose yes or no in the coming year. It meant I went from sort of three and a half thousand dollars I have to earn Australian per month to something just over 2000. So it means I, I can be more in my studio. It means the pressure on my art to earn is a little bit less quite a bit less when you look at the math, you know, so it was really, that was really valuable. And I felt very on top of my money. I felt very empowered about it and that I actually had made a whole bunch of choices, which I felt great about. That was really a bit of freedom for me. And I think that if anyone listening hasn't done that recently, it can be an incredible boon because it really reduces the likelihood that you're going to be standing there on a Friday worrying about how you're going to pay your gas bill on Monday. You know, it really does influence that life experience or pay your rent on Monday or whatever, you know, the sort of the bill is. Yes. I want to add another one to that one because I think that is that's so powerful and, and helpful to pay, you know, get out of the vagueness. Here we are again, get out of the vagueness. But also there is there is a law, a universal law of circulation. So give to somebody that's inspiring you, especially in your own field. It's so important to give because then it opens the door to receive. And I, I love the seeding and harvesting exercise that I use. Actually, I teach a class on abundance called the Angels of Abundance. Rewrite your blueprint in 90 days, right? Your money blueprint. But it's about giving something every day with a definite intention of just giving giving it in a, an anonymously somewhere uh, in appreciation for the gift of life that you have. And I find that the harvesting is the hardest for people because mm-hmm. after you've given it, let's say you put a bill in the egg carton at the grocery store with a little love note on it. Nobody knows it's from you. You leave the grocery store and then you say, and I receive back on the return current a thousandfold right? So you are actually pushing against this law of circulation. And it really proves to you that you can never really outgive the universe. You really cannot. I love doing that. And it, and that's how I, you know, give. I give in this place of like of deep appreciation. Where am I inspired? Where I'm inspired is where I give my money. Mm. And I give my money sometimes to myself. <laughs> <laughs> It 
That's so true. Yeah. I feel that the my equivalent is I have, follow a lot of artists that are painters or jewelers. And I have realized that other artists are great supporters of artists that they enjoy, you know, that so mm -hmm. it really can be so simple as shouting yourself a birthday present, which supports someone else's art. You know, I loved when that idea of paying it forward was a thing when we were in the toll booth and you'd pay for your own car and the car behind you, or you queued up at the cafe and you pay for your coffee and the person behind you. I love those sort of immediacies, but they're a little more visible. I love yours, which I remember folding up a $5 note in a post-it note with a little love you and putting it at the, the sort of local bus stop in my local village. That idea of just anonymously leaving a $5 note was a lot of fun and I got as mm -hmm. much thrill out of it. But it does mean we have to be able to then turn around and open when someone is giving us or wanting to give to us, we need to be ready to open and receive with gratitude. And that can be a real mm -hmm. challenge as well. So some people are great at giving and maybe giving away, but that challenge of saying, yes, I'm worthy of this, yeah. or yes, thank you universe, you've just landed me with that thing that I needed for my art. Yeah. I think it's really important once again, to come out of vagueness, you know, to write down what you've given. Like I, I love to do this in a 21 day sequence. So if you write down everything you've given and then everything you've received in any form, you know, like somebody buys you lunch, somebody gives you a two for one special, everything. And it's, it's amazing to me that you can never outgive the universe. You never can. It's, it's fun. And you also feel, you feel that that you're in that rhythm of that that circle you know the law of the circle you're you're right in the center of it and it's so it, it's so much fun it's yeah. magical it is magical i must admit i'm very grateful that i put some energy in and cleared a lot of the stuff because i have found myself in a place of great expansiveness and that is not just money because my thing was money but it was also time and if people have got issues around scarcity of money, they may have issues around scarcity of other things because time and money are just energy forms, right? So it might be it might be time like I had, or it might be about, you know, resources, or it might be about love and relationships and could be about support. So while we're talking about money, money can be a fantastic portal through to understanding how we might be wired from childhood, and what our norms are that we mightn't even be conscious of around the broader scarcity abundance kind of topics and i think that money is such a potent starting point it can lead us to so many other awarenesses so that we can get to a place where we can ask for what we want and we can receive what we're worth and be in a place of joy feeling like the universe has got our backs and so does everything that we touch yeah and I, I just want to add this too, that you can't be like, you know, talking about scarcity or lack thinking, it, it covers all the levels. You know, there's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough love. There's not enough support. It's all that energy. Mm. And you really can't be in that energy and be in, in an abundant flow energy at the same time. That's another place that's a great place to make a decision. Where am I right now? You know, yeah. <laughs> what am I doing Notice. right now? Am I feeding? Yeah feeding this, this wild dog, or am I feeding this cute puppy? You know, what am I doing? So uh, it's always good to pause and take a little inventory. 
It's a fantastic topic. I'm glad we've been talking about it today. I'm conscious that we, you know, our normal 30-minute episodes, this one's going to be a bit longer, and I haven't even come to the bottom of my list of stuff I wanted to talk about. So I, <laughs> I have another gem that I want to share, but I think I might do it in another episode, which is actually talking about the five different types of money because it's not just all one thing. And I told my story, which was around debt, but I want, you know, it's kind of useful to understand that we can be really good earners, but actually really poor savers, or we can be great savers, but not good at earning or whatever the combination might be. So maybe we'll just hold that over. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. Because It's I think a big this, topic, like I said. <laughs> it is. It's a big topic and it does lead to so many other um, conversations and awarenesses. So, all right. Well, I feel like we've covered some ground. We've talked about your family and my family stories. And if you're listening, maybe have a think back. If you know that money is a bit of an issue for you and something you want to shift in your life, then maybe it could be worth writing your money story. What have been the things that you've experienced or what have been the critical points in your life which have involved money or lack thereof? Because sometimes just writing all that down can lead to some awareness, right? Yes. And I have another one to add to that because to me, it's about the relationship with money. So look at your relationship with money as if it is an entity. It's a person. What is it like? Is it like an elusive lover? Is it like your best friend? It's just great to personify that relationship. And I think it would be in great combination with your money story. Yeah. That crotchety old uncle that never turns up. <laughs> When, yes, when exactly. they say they're going to, it could, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> I love that personification. So looking at our history and what stories we've got attached and possibly even looking back at the generations, you know, because we know that there is genetic memory. We know that we bring down stories mm. from past ancestors. So it can be really valuable to go on that journey of inquiry to sort of really come to understand money and how you relate to it give it a persona. And then if you feel like you want to get out of vagueness and step right into having complete relationship with your money, maybe do that exercise that I talked about, where you sit down and you look at every bit of earnings and expenditure and really come up with some clarity around your decisions of where your money is going. So you can just blow that vagueness around money right out the window and become really a close, intimate relationship with it so you've got real clarity beautiful any other thoughts there's oh. a lot more thoughts I, I don't think i should share anything new because i think you covered so much already i think yeah. there's plenty yeah. to mull over well we might pause here. this is money and earning and scarcity gremlins part one possibly we might come back around and have a bit more of a conversation about this because it's such a big one for People in the creative industries, I think, often talk about it with some. Yes, I, we should do a whole episode around gremlins. Yeah. Okay. Um, not only money gremlins, but all kinds of gremlins. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right, folks. Well, before we sign off, if you want to connect with Jennifer and I, here's the places you can do it. The best way to connect with me is at my website, jenniferruthrussell.com. Big place to connect with me. Awesome. And if you would like to connect with me, you can see me at my website, michellewalkerart.com, 
or come follow me and connect with me at Instagram. You'll get to see all the things that I produce. I'm pretty prolific over there and it's Michelle Walker Art is my handle on Instagram. So we look forward to connecting with you and please leave a comment below if you've got any thoughts or any aspects of this whole topic that we've just unveiled if you've got specific things you'd like to share or questions you'd like to ask we'd love to hear from you so thank you mm-hmm. have a great week jennifer lovely speaking you with too. you too you too lots of love Take care. bye everyone bye